welcome to chapter five of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Our author, I just want to remind you, is C.S. Lewis. That's a man. Um, I have a bit of a growly voice today. I don't really know why. I sure hope I'm not getting a cold. Um, but I just wanted to say that up front to apologize if my voice is a bit gruff and rumbly this morning while I'm reading to you. I hope it doesn't affect. Maybe it'll just add to the to the story a little bit. So chapter five is called Back on the Side of the Door. And if you remember in chapter four, Edmund and Lucy had both been inside Narnia through the wardrobe and Edmund had made a deal with the White Witch and he wanted more of that Turkish delight. Here we go. Back on this side of the door. Because the game of hide-and-seek was still going on, it took Edmund and Lucy some time to find the others. But when at last they were all together, which happened in the long room where the suit of armor was, I wish I had a suit of armor, Lucy burst out, Peter, Susan, it's all true. Edmund had seen it too. There is a country you can get to through the wardrobe. Edmund and I both got in. We met one another in there, in the wood. Go on, Edmund, tell them all about it. What's all this about, Ed, said Peter. And now we come to one of the nastiest things in the story. Up to that moment, Edmund had been feeling sick and salty and sulky and annoyed with Lucy for being right, but he hadn't made up his mind what to do. When Peter suddenly asked him the question, he decided all at once to do the meanest and most spiteful thing he could think of. He decided to let Lucy down. Tell us, Ed, said Susan. And Edmund gave a very superior look as if he were far older than Lucy. There was really only a year's difference. And then a little snigger and said, Oh yes, Lucy and I have been playing, pretending that all her story about a country in the wardrobe is true. Just for fun, of course. There's nothing really there. Poor Lucy gave Edmund one look and rushed out of the room. Edmund was becoming a nastier person every minute thought that he scored a great success and went on at once to say, there she goes again. What's the matter with her? That's the worst about young kids. They always look here, said Peter, turning on him savagely. Shut up. You've been perfectly beastly to Lou ever since she started this nonsense about the wardrobe. And now you go playing games with her about it and setting her off again. I believe you did it simply out of spite. Do you know what spite means? It means being mean just for the sake of being mean. But it's all nonsense, said Edmund, very taken aback. Of course it's all nonsense, said Peter. That's just the point. Lucy was perfectly all right when we left home, but since we've been down here, she seems to be either going weird in the head or else turning into a most frightful liar. But whichever it is, what good do you think you'll do by jeering and nagging at her one day and encouraging her the next? I thought, I thought, said Edmund, but he couldn't think of anything to say. You didn't think anything at all, said Peter. It's just spite. You've always liked being beastly to anyone smaller than yourself. We've seen that at school before. Do stop it, said Susan. It won't make things any better having a, a row between you two. Let's go and find Lucy. It was not surprising that when they found Lucy a good deal later, everyone could see that she had been crying. She must have felt so betrayed, don't you think? Have you ever, can you think of a time in your life when you've been let down by somebody who is supposed to be
be very true to you and close to you, somebody that you love, like maybe like a sibling. It's very sad, it really hurts. Nothing they could say to her made any difference. She stuck to her story and said, I don't care what you think, I don't care what you say. You can tell the professor or you can write to mother or you can do anything you like. I know I've met a fawn in there and I wish I'd stayed there. You are all beasts. I really like Lucy, guys. I love that she's sticking to her version of the truth. It was an unpleasant evening. Lucy was miserable and Edmund was beginning to feel that his plan wasn't working as well as he'd expected. The two older ones were really beginning to think that Lucy was out of her mind. They stood in the passage talking about it in whispers long after she had gone to bed. The result was the next morning they decided that they really would go and tell the whole thing to the professor. He'll write to father if he thinks there's really something wrong with Lucy, said Peter. It's getting beyond us. So they went and knocked at the study door and the professor said, come in and got up and found chairs for them and said he was quite at their disposal. Then he sat listening to them with the tips of his fingers pressed together and never interrupting till they had finished the whole story. After that, he said nothing for quite a long time. And then he cleared his throat and said the last thing either of them had expected. <clears throat> How do you know, he asked that your sister's story is not true. Oh, but began Susan and then stopped. Anyone could see from the old man's face that he was perfectly serious. Then Susan pulled himself to herself together and said, but Edmund said that they'd only been pretending. That's the point, said the professor, which certainly deserves consideration, very careful consideration. For instance, if you will excuse me for asking the question, does your experience lead you to regard your brother or your sister as the more reliable? I mean, which is the most truthful? That's just the funny thing about it, sir, said Peter. Up until now, I'd have said Lucy every time. And what do you think, my dear, said the professor, turning to Susan. Well, said Susan, in general, I'd say the same as Peter, but this couldn't be true. All this about the wood and the fawn, this is more than I know, said the professor, and a charge of lying against someone whom you have always found truthful is a very serious thing, a very serious thing indeed. We were afraid it mightn't even be lying, said Susan. We thought there might be something wrong with Lucy. Madness, you mean, said the professor quite coolly. Oh, you can make your minds easy about that. One has only to look at her and talk to her to see that she is not mad. But then, said Susan and stopped. She had never dreamed that a grown-up would talk like the professor and didn't know what to think. Logic, said the professor half to himself. Why don't they teach logic at these schools? There are only three possibilities. Either your sister is telling lies, or she is mad, or she is telling the truth. You know she doesn't tell lies, and it's obvious that she is not mad. For the moment, then, and unless any further evidence turns up, we must assume that she is telling the truth. Susan looked at him very hard and was quite sure from the expression on his face that he was not making fun of them. But how could it be, sir, said Peter. Why do you say that, asked the professor. Well, for one thing, said Peter, if it was real, why doesn't everyone find this country every time they go in the wardrobe? I mean, there was nothing there when we looked, and even Lucy didn't pretend there was. What has that to do with it, said the professor. Well, sir, if things are real, they're there all the time. Are they, said the professor, and Peter did not know quite what to say.
But there was no time, said Susan. Lucy had no time to have gone anywhere, even if there was such a place. She came running after us the very moment we were out of the room. It was less than a minute, and she pretended to have been away for hours. That's the very thing that makes her story so likely to be true, said the professor. If there really is a door in this house that leads to some other world, and I should warn you that this is a very strange house, and even I know very little about it. If, I say, she had gone into another world, I should not be at all surprised to find that the other world had a separate time of its own. So that however long you stayed there, it would never take up any of our time. On the other hand, I don't think many girls of her age would invent that idea for themselves. If she had been pretending, she would have hidden in a reasonable, for a reasonable time before coming out and telling you her story. But do you really mean, sir, said Peter, that there could be other worlds all over the place, just round the corner like that? Nothing is more probable, said the professor, taking off his spectacles and beginning to polish them, while he muttered to himself. I wonder what they do teach them at these schools. But what are we to do, said Susan. She felt that the conversation was beginning to get off the point. My dear young lady, said the professor, suddenly looking up with a very sharp expression at both of them. There is no plan which one has yet suggested and which is well worth trying. What's that, said Susan. We might all try minding our own business, said he. And that was where the conversation ended. After this, things were a good deal better for Lucy. Peter saw to it that Edmund stopped jeering at her, and neither she nor anyone else felt inclined to talk about the wardrobe at all. It had become a rather alarming subject. And so for a time, it looked as if all the adventures were coming to an end, but that was not to be. This house of the professors, which even he knew so little about, was old and famous was so old and famous that people from all over England used to come and ask permission to see over it. It was the sort of house that is mentioned in guidebooks and even in histories, and well, it might be, for all manner of stories were told about it, some of them even stranger than the one I am telling you now. And when parties of sightseers arrived and asked to see the house, the professor always gave them permission. And Mrs. McCready, the housekeeper, showed them round, telling them about the pictures and the armor and the rare books in the library. Mrs. McCready was not fond of children and did not like to be interrupted when she was telling visitors all the things that she knew. She had said to Susan and Peter almost on the first morning, along with a good many other instructions, and please remember you're to keep out of the way whenever I'm taking a party over the house. Just as if any of us would want to waste half the morning trailing round with a crowd of strange grown-ups, said Edmund, and the other three thought the same. That was how the adventures began for the second time. A few mornings later, Peter and Edmund were looking at the suit of armor, wondering if they could take it to bits, when the two girls rushed into the room and said, Look out! Here comes the McCready! And a whole gang with her! Sharp's the word, said Peter, and all four made off through the door at the end of the room. But when they got out into the green room and beyond it, into the library, they suddenly heard voices ahead of them and realized that Mrs. McCready must be bringing her party of sightseers up the back stairs instead of up the front stairs as they had expected. And after that, whether it was that they had lost their heads or that Mrs. McCready was trying to catch them or that some magic in the house had come to life and was chasing them into Narnia, they seemed to find themselves being followed everywhere until at last Susan said, Oh, bother those trippers. Here, let's get into the wardrobe room till they've passed. No one will follow us in there. But 
The moment they were inside, they heard the voices in the passage and then someone fumbling at the door and then they saw the handle turning. Quick, said Peter, there's nowhere else and flung open the wardrobe. All four of them bundled inside and sat there panting in the dark. Peter held the door closed but did not shut it for, of course, he remembered, as every sensible person does, that you should never shut yourself up in a wardrobe. And that is the end of chapter five. I feel like we're kind of, you know, when we talk about our story mountain um, and we, we talk about the ascending action and the rising actions that start to create the tension in the book, I feel like we are well going up the side of that story mountain right now. I feel like this whole, the four children being pushed into this wardrobe is kind of making things move up in tension. Goodbye. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know we're about to listen to chapter five and that's super exciting. I also wanted to let you know that because we will have some students that will continue learning from home or will start their summer early uh, and, and many of us will be in the classroom as of May 18th, I am going to continue to record The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as a podcast. And that means that when we're in class, uh, we will be able to listen to it online and it also means that our friends who will not be joining us for the month of May and June will still be able to listen to the end of our story okay and I might start with that in mind starting uh, probably with chapter seven uh, I'll start to add some little thoughts and teaching moments as we move through the chapter so that way our friends who aren't with us can still feel like they're participating in a lesson Alrighty, enjoy chapter five, guys. It's a good one. A lot is revealed in this episode.